Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Evan. Delighted to have you in the house. We are going to turn to Psalm 124 right now, and I'm going to invite you to find that on your phone, in your Bible, wherever you're reading the scripture today, find it there, please. While you're finding that, uh, this is the last sermon on our series on the Psalms that we've been doing this summer, um, and it's been a load of fun. I've enjoyed it. Uh, this is the last, this we've done now four Psalms of Pilgrimage that came in. This is the last Psalm of Pilgrimage that we're doing in this series, Psalm 124. And as you're finding it, let me just start with this. One thing I've discovered, and I discovered it uh, years ago when I was working at Starbucks after I got my master's degree, because that's the natural progression there, um, is that the more options people have in life, the more things there are to complain about. Have you noticed this phenomenon? And we have an awful lot of things, an awful lot of places where we get an awful lot of, of options. And we get a lot of options. We have advertisers that are consistently telling us you deserve this. We have peers that tell us you deserve this. We have all kinds of things that tell us you deserve this. You have these options. These things are custom made for you everywhere around. And it, it's, it's no stretch of the imagination that if we see that everywhere else in the world, and if we experience that, we start to come to think, I'm pretty important in a lot of these places. I'm pretty important wherever I go, and I can have things customized to my experience, to whatever I want. And it takes no stretch of the imagination then to begin to apply that inadvertently to our relationship with God. I can custom build this to be however I want. God can deliver my needs. And I want us to keep that in mind as we read Psalm 124 and think about kind of what, uh, what's going on there and what David is actually saying versus what maybe our first inclination is when we hear it. Psalm 124, all eight verses. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept us away. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. As we read that, if the Lord had not been on our side, if the Lord had not been on our side, it's easy to assume that the Lord is on our side as our natural inclination. Obviously, yes, that's the case. Um, God is love, right? So God would obviously be on our side. We can look at the cases of Jesus where he reaches out to people who would otherwise be on the edge, uh, the woman at the well, the Syrophoenician woman, uh, the centurion, these people, and Jesus reached out. God is love. He's going to reach out to any of us. Obviously, the Lord is on our side. This psalm particularly is about God's deliverance, that is God's salvation, written by King David. And he says, if the Lord was not on our side. And so the key question that could come to mind is, is the Lord on my side or not? But I actually don't think that's the key question. I think the key question from the text is, are you on the Lord's side or not? I think that's what sits behind the text here. 
Now, we don't know the actual historical situation. We know that this is a psalm of David. We know David's life, and we have a, an idea of what might be the historical situation, so we'll read that in a moment. But David's success ends up being his own problem, and not really because he, he's doing something wrong in those initial days. It's just when success comes, sometimes problems can come along. It's sort of the phenomenon of what happens when the dog finally catches the car, right? What do you do then? Uh, you've achieved your goal. And what happens to us when we achieve success in life, when we hit our goals? You know, for some of us, we hit big goals and we reset things, start a new goal. For other people, they hit their sort of moment in their life or career where they've sort of had their moon landing moment and they run out of steam or, or don't know their purpose after that. What am I supposed to do now, God, now that I've hit my goal? And often when leaders come to those points, people who lead, they get to a point where they've hit some goals or achieved some things or overcome some obstacles and what there are are new obstacles or new opposition that comes along because you're in a new phase and that's exactly what David encounters. So we'll read uh, what could be the context and it works well enough for this psalm because it's David's life. Back in 2 Samuel starting at verse 17 I want to read this and it'll be on the screen so you can listen to it. It said, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal Perazim and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of, valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. What's happened in David's life up to this point, David is the second king of Israel of the 12 tribes. David is finally recognized over those 12 tribes just before this, and that's actually quite an accomplishment because we realize there are only three kings of the united monarchy of Israel, and there was always a little division between 10 of the tribes and two of the tribes that finally Solomon is the one who finally uh, allows that to break apart. So it's no small feat what's happened with David that he's united as the king over all Israel. And he goes and conquers Jerusalem, calls it the city of David, and then it's at that point that the Philistines, so he's had success, the Philistines uh, who are right neighboring them say, not on our watch, you're not taking any more land, we're going to stand against this king of Israel, you're not going to succeed while we're around. They were his enemy. And David, you can see in this text, he's a bit fearful. He's not sure what to do next, which is why he inquires of the Lord on two separate occasions, okay God, what do I do now? My enemies are against me, and they're coming against me strong. And God gave instruction to David at this point that would lead him to deliverance from his enemy. Surely the Lord was on David's side 
we see that. But the instructions that David gives, the confidence that David receives from God is only useful if David will take the confidence, if David will take the instruction and follow it. Is David on the Lord's side is the question here. Does he trust that God will deliver him? Does he trust God at all? Obviously he does. He follows through. That's why it's the key question for us. Do we, do we, are we on God's side? Do we trust him is what stands behind that. David asks for salvation and practically speaking, God delivers him physically from his enemies in this case. And we can ask as we look at, at Psalm 124 again with that in mind, what's the character of David's salvation? We get a couple images that help us understand that. And then we can ask further then, how do you and I live in response to God's deliverance offered to us through Jesus Christ. So let's start with the character and the two images that we see that are delivered in Psalm 124. The first is in verse 3. So we know the first two lines, you know, if the Lord had not been on our side, then what would have happened? Well, the enemies, the people who attacked us in verse 3, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. Now, again, we don't know the exact historical context, but you even heard in that second Samuel passage, you can kind of hear inklings of this in David's response to God there uh, after the first victory. What could very well be in mind is David playing off of an image of the Canaanite army coming in because they worshipped Baal, but they also had in their pantheon of gods a god named Mot, who was the Canaanite god of death, whose lips reached to heaven and to earth, as a giant mouth to swallow up even Baal and all the enemies and everybody to take them to death. And you can imagine that the enemy army, if they worship that God, looks like the God of Mot coming in and David saying they look like what they, they say is going to conquer us, but they're not. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swallowed by them. The Philistine army is coming in. David feels like he could have been swallowed. Now, I'll just point out as believers in our culture right now, there are days when I feel like we can feel like we're being swallowed alive by our culture around us. Do we trust that God is on our side or not? That God gives us deliverance and salvation. David is saved here from his physical enemies. That's part of the character of David's salvation. The other image that comes into play right after that in verse 4, it says, The flood would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, and then it talks about the raging waters following in the same theme. The idea here, and we run into this all throughout the Old Testament, is the chaos of creation that is essentially tamed by God, that's put in order by God. That's often what's going on in flood imagery throughout the Old Testament. God makes order out of chaos. If God didn't do that, the waters would overwhelm us and we would drown in the chaos that abounds. It can be difficult when chaos abounds to trust that God will deliver. David said, if the Lord was not on our side, we'd be under the water right now and we'd be done. And so when pressure mounts, when anxiety increases, when crisis arrives, when enemies are moving in, David calls on the Lord. He says, God, deliver us. If the Lord had not been on our side. But here's the thing. Why can David have confidence that God will do anything? We know trust is built from past experience of faithfulness. 
David had a story with God that was already in progress. God had delivered in the past. David knew, when I call on the Lord, if I'm on his side, he's with me. We go forward together. He trusted that God was faithful. David knew God would deliver today because God had delivered in the past. That's how faith is built. That's how trust is built. But what's interesting, if you look at the character of his salvation, uh, in the first sense, we saw that David was saved from his physical enemies, but now David isn't just saved from his enemies, we can say David is saved to the Lord's presence and care. It's not just from, it's to. There's two motions that go to this salvation. And so then we can rightly ask, how do you and I live in response to God's deliverance and God's salvation? particularly that he offers through Jesus Christ. How do we live in response to that? Well, the text, if we continue on with that, we need to, leave free, we need to live free from the snare of sin. Sometimes it's inflicted on us. Sometimes we inflict it ourselves. Uh, quite often we inflict a lot of that ourselves. Uh, but all kinds of things can happen. So if you come in this morning and you are all feeling anxious, stressed out, a little strung out, a little wrung out, a little pressed or broken, worried. And any of those resonate with anybody in the room? Likely we come in with all kinds of different feelings and emotions. Likely all kinds of things are going on in our world around us that press in on us. We need deliverance. We feel trapped quite often, right? Every good and perfect gift from, comes from God. So if things are good, we know they're from God. But when things are turned upside down, perverted, messed up, those aren't from God. And in fact, if those are causing us stress and anxiety and pressure and even guilt, then we're ensnared. Verse 7 has this image. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. It's very poetic. For clarity's sake, you and I are the bird in this example. We are entrapped. As a bird, your defenses are weaker than you think, and particularly as a trapped bird, they're even weaker than you want to think. I just uh, uh, got through watching the last, the latest season of Alone. I know I have fans in the house of that show where 10, uh, 10 survivalists are dropped in the wilderness to last as long as they can with 10 items. It's a load of fun to watch. But they do a lot of, I mean, they know what they're doing in the wilderness. That's why they do this. These are experts, but amateur experts in a sense. But um, they set a lot of snares and traps because they have to catch their own food. And sometimes the snare works perfectly and a little rabbit is uh, neutralized. Um, sometimes it's not only, I know it's very euphemistic, huh? It's very, very neutralized. They use some fancier words. I'm not a hunter, so I don't remember what they used. Sometimes it, it gets caught in the, the snare and another animal gets it. We're vulnerable in the snare, aren't we? Sometimes it gets caught in the snare and they come and it's still alive, but it's not getting out of the snare on its own. It can't. And the more it struggles and fights, what happens? It just gets more ensnared. And that's how they work. That's how a trap like that works. Your defenses are weaker. The more you fight against it, the more trapped you get in it. And through Jesus, we've been offered freedom. 
That's where this all points. Through Jesus, we've been offered freedom. Jesus doesn't just offer freedom from the trap, though. He breaks the trap itself. Isn't that good news this morning? Warren Wearsby commenting on this says, Satan always has fascinating bait to offer. Isn't that the truth? The Lord may allow us, he says, to fall into a trap, but nobody can keep us when he wants us to be free. The Lord not only opened the trap, but broke it so it cannot be used again. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has broken the dominion of sin and death, and we can walk in freedom through Jesus Christ. The snare has been broken, and yet many people don't take that offer from Jesus and live trapped. The snare has been broken, and many people don't. They try and fix the problem of sin alone. They try and fix the problems around them, and they just get more ensnared and more trapped and more tightened and tightened and tightened in that it won't work and you can't deliver yourself. Pardon my microphone issues here. There we go. Some people don't take the offer. Jesus has broken the snare. We don't say yes. Some people say yes to Jesus. He's broken the snare. But we end up acting like Lot's wife. Looking back. Living under the snare still that's been broken, that we've been freed from, but not really going to Jesus. Not really going to the life abundant with fullness because we're still living as if we're ensnared even when we've been freed. And some people have been freed, they know they've been freed, they've celebrated the freedom, but we live as if we're in the days of the judges where we know why we cried out to the Lord. We were entrapped. God came and delivered, and yet we stand in danger of being re-snared because we've forgotten about God after we celebrated. We've been freed from the power of sin through Jesus. We need to not just be free from the snare. We need to be free to become God's children, fully and completely, part of the family, acting like the family, in the image of Christ, because he's remaking us. Paul talks about the power that's at play in those who are uh, redeemed in Christ in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. He's kind of making another case, but it fits nicely here because he, he puts this little note in here. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Why does Paul have this power? What does this look like? Paul has this power because Jesus broke the snare. He destroyed the trap, and he didn't just free Paul. He doesn't just free us as believers. He gives us the power to walk away from the trap towards him, to be part of his family fully and completely, and to point out to other people, I know the thing that will free you. It defeats dominions. It defeats that trap. And so if we are free people, living as the free, not just free from the trap, but living free to become children of God, the free people we've discovered throughout the Psalms are people who praise God and do it regularly and do it abundantly because God is good. Any witnesses in the house to that? God is good. We need to speak praise to God. And we need to speak praise to God regularly and consistently over and over again 
for at least two reasons, many more, but at least two I want to point out today, because when we speak praise to God, we remember who God is. We remember who God is the more we praise God. There's an interesting phenomenon that's in this psalm, that's in many other psalms as well, that we ought not miss, and I think is worth pointing out of why praise matters and why praise matters over and over. You know, in, in the worship wars of decades ago where it was hymns and choruses that were pitted against each other, um, and sometimes still those get brought up, hymns and modern worship songs, which aren't the same as choruses, and of course even in hymns, there's different types of hymns. So there's all kinds of stuff within that. One of the complaints that's, that's perpetually been there with the more modern stuff versus the hymns is the modern 7-Eleven songs. That is, the, the songs that sing the same words, seven words, 11 times in a row. That's the complaint, one of, the, one of many, among others. Now, I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of music, so my philosophy with hymns and the modern uh, worship songs is keep the good ones. And so, the, but the, with the 7-Eleven songs particularly, um, that we sing the same ones over and over, one of the issues that's been brought up to me on a few different occasions is, I don't need to say it again because God heard me the first time. Okay, I want to apply that to the psalm here in a moment. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side. When it says, let Israel say, what it's saying is, you all repeat back to me what was just said. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side. We just repeated it. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, it calls us to speak together. But let's ask the question, who are those words addressed to? God? No. God doesn't need any of the Psalms. God doesn't need the Bible itself. God is the one who gave us the Bible. That's his revelation to us. God doesn't even need us. He created us and he loves us. And he wants to save us, but God's completely self-sufficient. God doesn't need any of this. Why is it repeated? Because we need to remember, and we're very forgetful people. We need to remember. That's why it's repeated. Now, there's repetition that's really obnoxious, right? We've filled out government forms. There's a lot of repetition in government forms. Obnoxious. Other forms, business forms, sometimes there's a, there's, that's obnoxious repetition. And then there's good repetition, right? Go read Daniel, where they're going to go into the fiery furnace. Tons of repetition there. It's on purpose. Read the Psalms. Tons of repetition. It was even there in verse 7, if you paid attention to it. It's very poetic, repetition. There's repetition right here. Why is it there? Because we're forgetful people and we need to remember. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side. We need to remember that, don't we? if the Lord had not been on our side. And we also speak praise to God, not simply so that we'll remember who God is, but we speak praise to God so we remember to trust God because of who he is. It's one thing to know him, it's another thing to trust him. He's worthy of our trust. The question that David presents us with behind the text is not, is God on your side, but are you on the Lord's side? Can you remember that? Can you remember to trust him? Can you remember what he's done? If the Lord had not been on our side, if the Lord had not been on our side, we'd be ensnared by the power of sin. We wouldn't be free from sin, free to live towards him and be saved. We'd be in need of deliverance, unable to deliver ourselves. 
if the Lord had not been on our side. Let's go to prayer, and let's particularly take to prayer anything that's ensnaring you this morning. We need to recognize the Lord is on your side, but you need to ask the question, am I on the Lord's side? I need forgiveness, and then I need to become a child of God. Let's go to prayer. Lord, we want to be on your side. We want to trust you with all that we have, but sometimes that trust is held back because we are ensnared. There are many of us who are here in the room, online, who feel trapped and feel like things are getting tighter and tighter. And we try and we tug and we pull, but we are trapped by the power of sin, whether of our own doing or the doing of others around us. We are trapped by difficult relationships, by difficult temptations around us. And Lord, we don't want to be trapped anymore. So we take time in silence right now to lay before you that which ensnares us, that you would free us.